being the Upositor Day, we come together to hear the recitation of the Patimokha, but also to meditate together. So bring your attention to the feeling of the in and out breath. Establish mindfulness in the present moment. So we practice mindfulness of breathing. We're also developing clear comprehension of what we're doing right now. Sampajanya all-round knowing, knowing whether the breath is going in, whether the breath is going out, knowing the body in the present moment, knowing feelings, the mind and dhammas, objects of mind. You can know whether there's pleasant feeling or unpleasant feeling arising. We can know whether our mind is free of the hindrances or under the influence of the hindrances. <coughs> whether it's conditioned at this moment by any form of greed hatred, delusion, was free from greed, hatred and delusion. This is how we learn to practice, bring up sati, sampajanya, and then to contemplate, panya, Contemplate the three characteristics in each dukkha anatta of our experience right now, the impermanence of sense contact, thoughts rising, passing away. The dukkha. of these five candors, constantly subject to change, breaking up, unreliable, lack of self, anatta. Ajahn Chah said, look most closely at your own body as you're meditating. Subject to birth, aging, sickness, death. It's a source of dukkha. Constantly providing us with dukkha vedana, irritation, discomfort. 
beyond our control. This is the true nature of our body. So we establish mindfulness, clear comprehension and contemplate that. This body is made up of four elements, earth, air, fire, water. In those elements there's no self to be found. We support the body through nutrition, food and drink. There's no self in there. The nutrition keeps the body going. It's really just a mixture of four elements <coughs> without any being or person in it. You'll see when the mind is calm through the presence of mindfulness, clear comprehension, then we can maybe contemplate in this way. When it becomes agitated with the hindrances, we can't contemplate. So this is why we have to establish mindfulness. Ajahn Chah said the mind that can contemplate is the mind that is podi, which is often translated as just right, or the right amount. The word they might use say, if you're putting seasoning on your food you put it just enough to make your food tasty. You say puddy. In this sense, it means the mind that is normal, at ease in itself. It's at ease because we're practicing keeping precepts. So we're not creating a lot of trouble for ourselves or others. We're establishing mindfulness, which has a calming effect on the mind, brightens it, brings it to clarity. So the result of that is the mind becomes more and more normal, at ease, so that we can see things the way they are, we can contemplate. When the hindrances arise and take over the mind, then we lose that normality. The mind gets disturbed, caught up in different moods and thoughts. So our task as we meditate is to keep establishing mindfulness and bring the mind to the sense of being just right normal at ease, so that they, then we can contemplate. It's then that we can actually see, understand the way things are more deeply. We can actually see 
impermanence, see suffering, see lack of self, rather than just know it with our memory, we actually see it as experience, and thereby teaching our own mind to let go of attachment and clinging and wrong perceptions, wrong views that we hold on to. tendency is always to try and work out the Dhamma through thinking. <coughs> Trying to analyze, learn more, analyze it, think it through, sort it out that way. But if we're observant and clear, we can see endless thinking doesn't bring the mind to a state of being poddy, leads to more restlessness, agitation and discontent, takes away the mindfulness. So we have to keep practicing bringing up mindfulness using the breath. We have to set aside the thinking and the analyzing allow the mind to calm down and center within itself using the breathing to do this. And as we do it, we become more aware of the body When we're caught into the thinking, restless thinking, we tend to be trying to work out the Dhamma and focusing more on mental states, what they are, how they are. We can learn something from that. But if we never investigate our own body and the attachment the mind has to its body, or the thinking and analyzing won't go in deep enough to really see the Dhamma. You have to turn that energy to start investigating the body, the 32 parts the four elements. I really question this sense of self, self-identification we have with our own bodies. It's the basis for all our emotional turmoil in life, the ups and downs the loves, the hates, the delighting in and aversion for the world. It manifests in this attachment to the body from that, from feelings, pleasure and pain. 
So when we investigate the body, calming the mind, we're seeing that there is nobody who owns this body. It's made up of the four elements. And together those four elements make something that is not inherently attractive or worth holding on to. <coughs> if we keep running through the 32 paths, we become aware how they're constantly becoming dirty, smelly, unpleasant, which is why we have to keep bathing and showering, washing our clothes. The food we eat becomes unattractive as soon as it enters the body. As we move around the body, sweats, becomes greasy, dirty. All the different functioning parts of the body, not only are they unattractive, but they're also very fragile, easily injured. And with aging, they're constantly running down. Sometimes the elements are out of balance, things go wrong. We get disease, bacteria, viruses, injuries and so on. Investigating like this, we start to see the true nature of this body and the suffering that comes with the mind heavily identifying with the body and all the likes and dislikes, the pleasure and pain, the love, the hate, centre around this identification with this body and then the body of others. Me, mine, myself, us and them, me and you. As we investigate like this, we're constantly bringing the mind back to emptiness freeing it from its delusion of self and identifies with the body so strongly bringing the mind to a sense of spaciousness where it's aware of the body as physical elements but not grasping at it as self as a natural sense of letting go spaciousness emptiness of mind meaning emptiness of self There's also awareness of the sadness because of the dukkha of having a body and its limitation. The sadness of life. We can't hold on to pleasure in the things of this world that we like to accumulate. Possessions, experiences, people. Everything is impermanent. There's a sadness with that. 
as the mind wakes up to reality. But it's countered by the relief of wisdom and clarity that understands the nature of the way things are. And the mind actually finds it pleasant to view things from normalcy rather than from delusion, the delusion of self, having things, wanting things that we cannot ultimately hold on to. The mind, maybe at first, is both sad but relieved at the same time. There's the sense of equanimity and dispassion towards craving and attachment and identifying in identification with the body. As the equanimity deepens, then the sense of peace becomes strongest and the sadness is not something that bothers the mind. Let it go, it can let go of the past, the good, the bad of the past. Let go of concerns about the future. The mind is happily, peacefully centered in the present moment. process of waking up can be sometimes quite difficult, challenging, confronting attachment for what it is, admitting it for what it is. Sometimes it's quite painful, disappointing, because we thought things were different than they are. We have to adjust our views and expectations as the mind becomes more clear in line with reality. Sometimes it's stubborn, it doesn't even want to accept truth. It prefer to be with delusion, out of habit. Prefer, prefer the old way, especially if, we, if we've had a lot of comfort in our life. Comfort is comfortable. Comfortable if you're getting what you want, more or less. Your health is still okay. You've got enough material wealth, friendship, comfort. To investigate the attachment underlies that is quite challenging. Many people don't want to look at it. They'd rather, as they say, ignorance is bliss rather stay complacent. But the Buddha warned us that that's complacency is actually riding for suffering, riding for a fall, because it won't last forever. All the comfort that we can achieve in this world is still temporary. And if we haven't trained our mind with mindfulness and wisdom, when the time comes, we suddenly drop over the edge. We've got not, not, not very much to support us, maybe. So 
are wise person, they ch choose the path of mindfulness and wisdom, even if life is still comfortable and there's plenty of pleasure to be had. They don't see that as ultimate happiness. They're wise enough to keep practicing. Willing to sober up. But that takes some effort. Sir, I was staying at Mab Chan. was practicing in the middle of the Vasa, doing lots of sitting and walking, contemplating the body a lot. And then there was the opportunity to go and see an autopsy in Bangkok, in one of the big hospitals. Usually I didn't miss such a chance but because I was practicing quite peacefully didn't want to disturb my routine by going out of the monastery so I didn't take up the offer many of the other monks went I was walking on Bindabhan that morning feeling a little bit of regret that I hadn't gone just practicing mindfulness walking through the streets of the local town Bampei contemplating my own body the impermanence of it contemplating the unattractiveness as your feet touch the ground and this the street was always quite dirty with a lot of oil and rubbish around. Just contemplating the unattractiveness of that. And I stopped outside one shop to receive food. And just as I was walking up, a dog, the owner's dog, one of those dogs that barks a lot, it's quite small, and just bitten a rat which had run out of the shop it almost severed the rat in half but not quite so the rat was still alive but its guts were hanging out and the blood spurting out all over the pavement with a face of panic on its so the the dog was still barking at it madly, so the owner picked up the rat by the tail and dropped it on a rubbish bin which was on the pavement. So the do dog couldn't actually do any more damage to it, although it was mortally wounded. The dog just stuck its paws on top of the bin and looked at the dying rat barking at it frantically. And the little rat a terrible fear on its face but it couldn't move its back legs because the, probably the backbone and the nerves are all severed 
to just move its front legs so it was trying to crawl away from the dog's nose. As it was crawling away, it's dragging its entrails and with it and all the blood was coming out. It just crawled a little bit for a while, going round in circles because it couldn't go anywhere because it was in a rubbish bin. It went round and round and round as we were standing receiving food. As we were walking away it probably was just about dead. Because I've been thinking so much about the autopsy and then contemplating my own body and then seeing that such a sense of sadness the fragility of life human beings are only a little bit better off we live for a certain amount of years but our health is very uncertain prone to disease, accidents even if you have the good fortune to stay healthy all your life. Eventually aging catches up and the body degenerates, collapses, dies. That's the nature of our life. The material world is totally unreliable, full of danger as well. The only way to real freedom is to develop our minds in the way the Buddha, Ajahn Chah and all the other teachers taught, contemplate the impermanence of this body so that the mind sees it, gives up wanting anything from the world through this body. So it knows deep down inside uh, everything is impermanent you cannot hold on, grasp on to anything if we keep practicing in this way and little by little the, the effects of mindfulness and contemplation bring the mind to this sense of norm, normality where it's actually happy inside but it's also willing to admit that the world is impermanent beyond our control something we have to let go of it can do that so they talk about the mind filling up with Dhamma and the more we practice little by little it's filling up with Sila, filling up with Samadhi, filling up with Panya. Even though the practice is full of challenges and difficulties, if we keep doing it, then little by little the mind fills up more and more. And that's where the real source of peace and happiness that we all want can be found. When the mind is really full with Dhamma, then 
the insights that we may have had hundreds of times before, and then finally they actually lead to a cutting off of kilesa, craving and attachment, <clears throat> just like we've heard different teachers or monks in the time of the Buddha. And those practitioners who've practiced to the point where all the path factors have been developed, the barami have been developed, then the mind is just needing a little nudge, some contemplation, and then it's purified. And it will completely let go of its attachment, its delusion. In the time of the Buddha, it could be very quick because people's barami have been developing for so many lives, making the aspiration to be enlightened in the time of Gautama the Buddha. And maybe just hearing one Dhamma talk or one moment of reflection was enough. Venerable Sivali when he's seven years old, coming forth to become a novice because he practiced for so many lives. The day of his ordination, so shaving his head, he's focused on renunciation, practicing Funibana, following the Buddha. And as the hair started to fall from his head, as they shaved his head, he contemplated the impermanence of this body. And how can we take hair as self when it just drops to the ground and it no longer belongs to us? Even though he's only seven years old, because his wisdom was so sharp, so well developed, say the first stroke of the razor and the hair dropped, he developed insight and became a stream winner. And then as they carried on shaving him, his insight progressed. Became a once returner and then a non-returner. And by the end he was fully enlightened. The process for us is just the same maybe not quite so speedy. It's a matter of being willing to keep up the practice, establishing sila, bringing the mind to that sense of ease, normality, and contemplating until it starts to see the truth, little by little, letting go. So I'll leave you with these words of encouragement tonight and we can carry on sitting. The chanting will be at 8.30 and then after that we'll have the patimoka. <laughs>